0: Open your Bible, or turn on your Bible, to Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians is called a prison epistle because it's one of those times the Apostle Paul wrote a letter of Scripture when he was incarcerated. And his crime was preaching the gospel. We are going through the series of Philippians. I'm very thankful, Pastor Josh, gave me this opportunity to give him a break. Uh, every couple months, we give him a, a break, and I tell you, just just this one Sunday sermon reminded me of what an awesome task it is to be responsible to preach God's word to God's people. Uh, we shouldn't take it lightly. I, God forbid, I would take it lightly. This is. Serious stuff when God uses a human messenger to proclaim his eternal truth Uh, Lord help me Pray for me pray for pastor Josh and I realized I had a month or two to prepare for this Just reminded me the hard work Pastor Josh does every week to study to pray to prepare a message that would be meaningful for God's people So it's no light easy task We don't come up here just to tell stories or share our opinions or entertain. We wanna preach the word, and that takes serious study and prayer. So pray for your pastor, Pastor Josh, each week as he's feeding us the word. I'm thankful you're here this morning. Some of our folks are gone and not able to be here, but you are here, and God knew that when he's working in my heart to preach to you the first four verses of Philippians chapter two. Imagine with me, before we even look at the text of Scripture, that our our long-lost friend has finally written us. We haven't seen him in a long time. He's a long distance away. We've been separated from him. And we notice on the return address of the envelope, Rome Incarceration Center. And so now we're really concerned. Now we know where our friend has been but we tear open that letter to find out, how did he get in jail? What are the conditions like? How's he doing? What's the plan to get out? How can we help? And how can we encourage him? He's probably very discouraged, maybe even depressed, or on the verge of despair in such a circumstance. But we we open the letter, and having gone through chapter one now, Philippians, we find that the Apostle Paul is anything but discouraged. He is rejoicing. He is a very happy camper. And he says very little about his imprisonment, except that it is a golden opportunity for him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Roman soldiers and even to officials in Caesar's palace. What a golden opportunity. The gospel to Paul is this humongous deal. In the opening chapter he talks about the gospel six times the gospel Jesus Christ is a big deal to Paul we read of Jesus Christ did you count it up maybe in chapter 1 18 times Jesus Christ is mentioned in the first chapter of this epistle that's what Paul is all about and that's why he is such a happy camper back in chapter 1 verse 12 if you jump back to that opening chapter he says I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and then you go down to verse 18 it's no wonder at the end of that verse he says Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice yes I will rejoice do you see the connection friend between gospel proclamation and a rejoicing heart that's really it for Paul His mission is to be a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, brothers and sisters, all of us who name the name of Christ have the same mission, to be messengers of the gospel where we are. And I hope you have found out, or you are finding out as we go through this book, the greatest way to find purpose in life is to get in mission with, with the gospel. That is, carrying out our mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring the greatest fulfillment and the highest joy to our life. Can I repeat that? Carrying out the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring the greatest personal fulfillment and the highest level of joy to our life imaginable as Christians. And unless we go further without defining our terms. What is the gospel? The gospel is not just telling people hey We love you or just God loves you, which is true. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ God the Son comes down becomes a perfect man So that he can give his perfect life as a perfect sacrifice for imperfect sinners and by his death resurrection death burial and resurrection those sinners can find release from their sin forgiveness acceptance and placement into the family of God for all eternity that gospel message saves sinners who will believe it that gospel message will transform lives will change hearts from misery to joy from despair to hope that gospel message Is what Paul, is the reason Paul was in prison, but it was also the reason Paul was rejoicing in prison. So now we're coming to chapter 2. At the end of chapter 1, we're at the end of chapter 1, we're probably asking ourselves the question, uh, okay, Paul, that's really good and important and special, but uh, so what now? So what should we do with this gospel message? Or can I rephrase that to a better question? What should this gospel message do with us or for us? How should this impact our lives? Let's go back again to chapter one. Paul's already started to hint at this back in chapter one, verse 27, when he says this, only let your manner of life. That's what we're doing tomorrow and Tuesday And the rest of this week how we're living our life our day-to-day conduct let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ your life my life needs to match up to this worthy message the gospel deserves a life that reflects its glory its goodness Would we not agree, beloved, that the gospel deserves lives that harmonize with its truth? It deserves lives that will reflect clearly, but not perfectly, will reflect clearly the subject of the gospel. That is Jesus Christ. And there's no room for hypocrisy, for talking the talk, but not walking the walk. The gospel deserves better so we come to chapter 2 the very beginning of chapter 2 Paul's going to continue that thread he doesn't say so what but very closely he begins this chapter so if let's read those first four verses let's see what Paul has to say about the gospel impact on our lives Philippians 2 1 through 4 so if there is any encouragement in Christ than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of in the last word others mark could you put that scripture up i'm sorry I should, should have given you a heads up that text is up here if you don't have a bible i'd like you to see god's very word but it starts with jesus christ and it ends with others you say well where am i where, where are you and i We're in there, but we're down the list. Jesus first, others second. I want you to see the beginning of verse 2, those first three words of verse 2, really is the central thought, the theme of this little paragraph. It's Paul's command when he says, Complete my joy. Now that's a little interesting, isn't it? Would we say the Apostle Paul is a joyful man? I guess we've already seen that chapter one he says i will rejoice i'm not discouraged in prison i'd rather be out there preaching to other people in the city of rome but i have got an opportunity right where i'm at in imprisonment so i'm very happy with this i'm rejoicing so then how can the apostle say complete my joy well it's interesting the word complete is the same word we will find in the gospels whenever one of god's prophetic words comes to fruition it will say and the scripture was fulfilled remember reading that like a hundred or two hundred times in the new testament god says something and a hundred years or a thousand years later that prophecy is finally and fully actualized and then the spirit of god will say the scripture was fulfilled it was completely totally actualized So when Paul says, complete my joy, he's just saying, I'm very joyful in Jesus. But beloved, you brothers and sisters in Christ, you have an impact in making my joy even more comprehensive, more complete, more mature, rounded out to the fullest. So let's consider, what would it take to make the apostle complete in joy? Or to bring it to our setting, what do you think would make Pastor Josh happy happier he's a pretty happy guy what would make him happier uh, a big offering uh, huge attendance I mean we pack this room out and he'll be smiling ear to ear right how about a lot of compliments at the end of his message oh that would be just what he wants right <laughs> no what would make our pastor complete in joy is what would make the Apostle Paul complete in joy and could we even stretch further? what would make our chief shepherd our heavenly pastor Jesus smile big and br- what is he looking for in brothers and sisters in this church as he was at Philippi well let's find out what makes complete joy before he gives us the command in verse 2 what do you see in verse 1 if you look at your Bible you'll see so if And then there are four N's. What he's giving us in verse 1 are are conditions that really are going to be seen as motivating factors to obeying the command, complete my joy. So in other words, if these things are true, then you've got the reason, the basis, the motivation to complete my joy. So let's say what he's telling us in verse 1 is really be motivated by the gospel. Point number one, be motivated by the gospel. We're going to have three points. Mark, you'll put those up. Three points. First one, real simple in verse one, be motivated by the gospel. Then verse two, he's going to tell us, be united by the gospel. And in verses three and four, we'll close by saying how we are being humbled by the gospel. Verse one, he says, so if these things are true for you, you've got a reason to want to obey God and follow God's word. So let's do a checklist here, friends. Tell me about this. In your Christian experience, have you had any, even a little bit of encouragement since you came to know Jesus Christ? Being united, being placed in a relationship with God's Son as your Savior when you open your heart and believed on him and received him, does that give you any bit of encouragement? Or number two, do you find any comfort from knowing his love? When he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, that means God's love is unconditional, it's unending. And you know his love, and you know the love of his people in this body or other believers in the family of God loving on you. Does that give your heart any peace and comfort? Or how about this? Do you find any participation in the spirit? Number three, participation is the word for fellowship or community. Or partnership is how it was used in chapter 1. Do you find there's any connectedness when the Spirit of God who lives in your heart and lives the life of Christ through you connects you with others around you who also have the Spirit of Christ living in them and and you can literally say you are my brother and you are my sister we're in the same family we are spiritually connected is that a partnership or a, a fellowship that rings true in your heart and then the last any he puts two together he says do you have any sense of affection and sympathy since you became a christian those tender-hearted moments of care and compassion that you feel in the body of christ where we rejoice with those who rejoice we weep with those who weep we take care of one another our needs our our lives we, we don't do life alone we're in this together and we have hearts for one another does that ring true for you does that stir you up I dare say that any and all believers have all of these precious blessings these are not uh, optional these are universal for any true born-again believer which is why The apostle Paul in writing this and you realize that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language back in the first century in the Greek grammatical structure here Paul is using if in a sense of a realized condition which simply means you could translate this since it's not a question it's just an assumed reality it would be like me saying And I'll step away from the Bible because this illustration is not a biblical one. If Tom Brady has retired, and if you're not a sports fan and watching the news, he, he recently did again, he says this time for real. But if Tom Brady has retired, then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need another quarterback, right? And the reality is that if is a realized condition. If Tom Brady has retired, and he has, Now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need another quarterback. Or we could just say it, since Tom Brady has retired, and remove the if, since it's happened and it is true, the Tampa Bay team needs a quarterback. Paul is saying here, since you have encouragement and comfort and fellowship and and, and tender compassion in the body of Christ, therefore complete my joy. So we're talking about this is what motivates the heart of God's children to obey God's Word. We're talking heart-level motivation. What motivates people today? Man, I'm not talking about us, but people in general. What are people using as reasons to make decisions, to do everything that they do in their life? Big motivations are money. You know, obviously people are financially materially motivated what's going to be the best paying job what's going to save them the most what's going to get them the most bang for their buck uh, money is a big big motivator it's a big big God in the hearts of those who worship man and not the Lord if not money popularity is a big motivator what are other people doing put your finger to the wind what's the popular trends what will make me accepted in the group i don't want to be laughed at or rejected by the group so what's the popular thing will be a motivation in decision making if not money or popularity it could be fear i'm afraid of what somebody might say or think or do i'm afraid of god if i A Christian says, if I don't do this right, God might be mad at me, and he might swap me, and and a lot of Christians even operate by fear, that kind of fear of uh, unnecessary fear. Abba, Father, is a loving Father. We need not fear his wrath once we are in Christ. His anger is satisfied at the cross. If not fear, guilt can motivate a lot of life. Feeling guilty about the past we're trying to make up for or false guilt, feeling bad and beating ourselves up about things we should, and people are sometimes motivated by that. It could be motivations of comfort, ease. What do I like? What feels good? Uh, what's the good life, the comfortable way to go through life, motivates people. It could be the, the thought of reward or the fear of punishment. What will I get if I do this? What will I get if I don't do this? Sadly, people may be in church or not in church today because of wrong motivations. Or sometimes people go to church for wrong motivations. But here we're told in this opening verse, what should motivate our every decision, our every action of every day of our life? Not what we're going to get out of it. Not what others think of it. Not because we fear God might hurt us if we don't do the right thing. It's because of who Jesus is. What has Jesus done for us? In Christ, what do we have? This should be the propeller for all of our life obedience and our desire to do whatever God wants us to do. It pleases him. It completes his joy. He who has made my heart so joyful and blessed. Be motivated by the gospel is lesson number one from verse one. We go on to verse two, and now we get to the command. Okay, Paul, you want us to complete your joy? Can you tell us what what it would take to do that? And Paul would say, absolutely. Happy to, to answer that question. Complete my joy by, now notice the rest of the verse, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. If you had to pick a word that summarized all of those four descriptors what might be a good word to express what paul's looking for in his friends at the church of philippi word same the word one full accord like seems to me the word paul's looking at is unity brothers and sisters at philippi brothers and sisters at living hope i want to see the body of christ as one blessed unit where there's likeness where there's like mindedness there's a same oneness to them oh no wait a minute pastor dennis are you saying we're we're all supposed to be alike we're kind of like clones we all we all think alike on everything we agree on everything we have the same opinions and preferences No, not at all. That is far from what Paul is saying. And we know that because there is no more diverse organism on the planet than the church of Jesus Christ. Do we realize this? The body of Christ, composed of all those who turn from their sin and accept Jesus Christ alone as their Savior, is made up of people that is a beautifully diverse group from all languages, all ethnic groups, all nations, all tongues. All social level, all economic level, education level. It's made up of, of rich and poor, old and young, educated and on. Every ethnic group under the sun. Every culture from different economic levels, different backgrounds. As I was preparing this week, I'm just thinking of our, our church family. And Little as we are, we're from uh, Cleveland and New Jersey and texas and wisconsin north carolina puerto rico uh sister erica venezuela we we hope she's coming back from there so we'll see her back in our midst and and just in in our new little church body we've already begun to see some beautiful diversity we don't want to be a monolithic community we want there to be this rich uh diversity so we Welcome all all kinds of people into the body of Christ. But what Paul is saying here, in the midst of the beautiful diversity, there is this solid unity. and it's a very specific unity. It's not that we all like the same restaurants, the same sports teams. We all agree on politics, economics, we all agree on you know, philosophy of life in, in every point. But we all agree going back to chapter 1 verse 27 remember that worthy life of the gospel chapter 1 verse 27 ends with this you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel see those believers and they were diverse in philippi some were slaves some were slave owners Some were Gentiles, some were Jewish. Uh, Male, female, all sorts of languages representing that cosmopolitan city of Philippi. But they were all together. They were all on the same page when it came to the faith of the gospel. There was no no variety there in what their belief system was. They all believed in the living and true God who revealed himself through scripture, who came to earth as the perfect God-man, And his name is Jesus, who lived a perfect life that he gave at the cross of Calvary as a substitute for sinners, who rose the third day, who is in a literal heaven and will be joined by all of his children one day. They believed the gospel in unity. And that was what completed the apostles' joy. So here at Living Hope Church, in our diversity, we are a church that stands together on this book with unity of faith we have no variance when it comes to gospel truth though we'll disagree and differ and we have different personalities and we may have you know agreeable disagreements from time to time But that's all right as long as we stay together united in the faith of the gospel and advance the gospel together as partners who purpose that this is our mission and only this Will bring joy to us and complete joy to our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Our time is about through, but can we just take a moment or two and look at verses three and four? We're to be motivated by what? The gospel. We're to be united by what? The gospel. And we'll only be we'll only have unity of faith when that unity is birthed out of another quality, another spiritual trait that the spirit produces and that is humility mother humility births the baby of unity in other words only humble people will get together and be united proud people tend to divide to be divisive and conflict arises so when we humble ourselves we can come together and be on the same page when it comes to what really matters the truth of the gospel and here's humility in verses three and four do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others i was reading this week doing some research uh, i'm kind of new to florida you florida people probably already knew this but it only takes a very tiny, almost microscopic insect called a scale insect or some of its its kindred insects, mites or white flies, which are the public enemy number one to orange growers, orange tree orchards. Those little bugs are what get in there, eat a hole and just destroy a crop and you can hardly see it. And it's sad. We, we don't want to lose our oranges. We need our oranges. That's... For Florida. We've got to have oranges, so get rid of these nasty little bugs. Those little buggers have to go. What is the little bug that can eat away the unity of the body of Christ? Paul tells us in verse 3, get rid of these bugs. Don't let these bugs have any place in what the church of Jesus Christ is about. Notice number one, selfish ambition. Got no room for that, right? That's that's me. I want power here. I want a position. I want possessions, selfish ambition or conceit. You know, this church is really not doing something for me. It's supposed to take care of me and my rights and my desires. And, and I deserve better treatment and I'm entitled and, and I can come in here with selfish expectations. And conceit that wraps up everything I see through the perspective of self Paul says that's not the gospel that's not going to bring unity but rather humility that says it's not about me it's about others who are more significant than yourselves please highlight or underline in your mind if not your Bible the word more he doesn't say that you and I aren't significant And we can't, humility isn't just treating yourself like a a dirt ball, a worm, a jerk. Oh, I'm terrible. And put yourself down. That's that's not humility. Humility is not thinking poorly about yourself. It's just thinking more about others than yourself. So he says, think of others as more significant. Likewise, in verse 4, he doesn't say you don't take care of yourself. He just says, let each of you look not only highlight that only on his own interests so you take care of your house i take care of mine you take care of your finances you take care of your health you take care of your work responsibilities you take care of you i take care of me but the bible says do not just take care of only your own life you've got brothers and sisters in the body around you and you look also on the interests of others and so he ends His paragraph with that powerful word others and I just get that in my mind when I come to church whether it's worship whether it's small group whether it's Bible study I'm thinking others who will be there what does God want me to say how can I help influence impact others lives I know I'll get something out of it God always gives me what I need God always has a message for me God always has encouragement for me but I can't go in selfishly just wanting it all for me. i got to be thinking others, others. And this is what the gospel does for us. It humbles us because the gospel tells us when we come to the cross, we're coming as, as needy, helpless, hopeless sinners, right? And we want to be real honest. We have to agree with the apostle Paul who said, I am the chief of sinners. If, if, if that's true of Paul, then that's definitely true of me and true of you. Another way of saying that is the worst sinner on earth that I know is the one that looks in the mirror at me. Every morning I'm looking at the chief of sinners because I know that guy, what he thinks and what he feels that people on the outside don't see that in. They might see some of my outward behavior that they know that's not very good. They don't even know half of it of what's the inside, but our Lord does. And in spite of what he knows us chief sinners to be, he gave himself at the cross and said come unto me uh, all the ends of the earth and be saved he welcomes the chief of sinners and that's a humbling thing and that's a gratifying thing and with that in mind i look at others and there's some more chief sinners i'll let them know what the master what the chief shepherd did for this wandering sheep this lost, lost sinner Give them a chance. Give them some hope. Give them a golden gospel opportunity. So this morning, as we conclude, I would say, I think you'd agree with me, thank you, Lord, for giving us this precious word. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for giving us Philippians. Thank you for giving us the wonderful spelling of joy. Jesus first, others second, you third will always Produce this indescribable, inexplicable heavenly joy when we're focused on the gospel. It works even if you end up, like Paul, in a prison, or you end up in a hospital bed, or the unemployment office, or an annoying traffic jam, or a cancer ward, or a tough relationship conflict. The gospel. Motivates us, unites us, humbles us for his glory. Let's pray.